1: Hello again and welcome to the 1871 podcast with Dylan Kerr, Johnny Hunt and me, Mark Roach. And before I introduce tonight's special guest, a reminder that our guest for tomorrow's episode is Reading's record appearance maker, Martin Hicks. Um, and, And talking of Royals legends, our special guest tonight is the one and only Brian McDermott. So hello, Brian. Thank you for joining us and a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you with us. And and Brian, it's uh, ten years ago that you took Reading back into the Premier League. Time flies, but you were, of course, involved at Reading for a for a long time before you became manager. Um, Can I just start by asking you when you first got involved at Reading? um, You know, what were your initial hopes and and objectives at that point? Would you say
2: Uh, my initial hopes when I first got to Reading was to get a job. I was just I'd left Woking and I was um, I remember coming to, to Reading early on and I did some scouting for nothing um, and then Alan, Alan Pardew rang me up and he asked me if I um, wanted to come in and be the chief scout and under 17 manager so I was chief scout running around the, the country at the time and doing the 17s on a Saturday morning so I was doing a lot of running around, a lot of work, um, but I loved it. Absolutely loved the club from day one. Um, and, and the team were, you know, on an up. The, the whole club was on an up. I could feel it was on an upward curve. So, uh, yeah, and I liked Alan, got on well with him. Um, and he did a great job for, for three years for us before he left.
1: Um, and there's obviously, you know, some well-documented issues with the club at the moment. And I think for me... Uh, and many of the Reading fans, two of the big differences between your time at the club and what's happening now um, is that you had a local owner and you were a key part of Reading's scouting network that brought players like Kevin Doyle to Reading. Do you feel that those were, were two of the key factors that that really helped you in terms of you know your success during your time at Reading?
2: I think there's, every, there's a lot of key factors. Nick Hammond was at the club. He was director of football. Um, obviously Alan was there and he was a stable manager and knew what he was doing in the level that we were at uh, the chairman was the chairman and everyone knew who he was um, the right people used to speak to the fans so the fans knew what was going on and we were in Division 1 at the time and we were trying to get out of that division um, but everyone knew their roles and everyone knew their jobs and everyone knew their responsibilities and I think that's key, really. That's not just Reading. That's key to any football club. And I think the biggest issue at Reading over the last few years, apart from the fact they've had too many managers, um, is the structure, really. You look at the structure and you have to just rejig the structure. I don't think it's really... it's not. It's just going back to the basics of what a structure of a football club looks like, where everybody, the supporters can recognise this person does this, this person does that and talk to the fans, which is really important, the communication.
1: Uh, I'm looking back to your time before you became manager, what, what do you feel were, you know, some of your own kind of personal um, achievements that, that you're particularly proud of?
2: I'm, I'm not really into personal achievements, really. I I, I, I just like working as a, in a team. And, I you know, we had a team of scouts that I worked with, and Nick Hammond I worked with, I worked with Alan, I worked with Steve, Steve Coppola. I worked with Brendan for a short period of time. Um, certainly with Steve, you know, what he said to me was when uh, he got the job, we had one meeting, I only had one meeting with Steve, um, and he just said, I want you to stay, and I want you to find me players. And that was it. It was very, very simple, and I, and I carried on managing at the time. I was managing the reserves at that time. Um, but I was just blessed to be in amongst a load of good people, Kevin, Wally, Nick Hammond, Nigel Gibbs, all of these people, fabulous. Fab, really, really great people and then players that we brought to the football club who bought into what the club was about and nobody ever got an easy game against Reading. No one. Um, and that was for a long, long, long time.
1: Uh, and with Sir John Modaisky, you know, it's well known that he kind of stayed, almost stayed out of your way and he, he did the, the business side of things and he let you get on and do the football stuff. Uh, and and that, that must have been a great way for, for you to work. How you know how, how do you feel that relationship was with Sir John and, and the management team?
2: Well, he's the best chairman I've ever worked with, and i worked with a few. Um, he let you get on with what you had to get on with. The budget was the budget. You know, we had to run the club sensibly, and we certainly did. We had Nick Hammond, who was director of football, uh, when I was manager, when Brendan and Steve and Alan was manager. And he did some really, really good contract deals. Um but the chairman was, if you, as the manager, what he asked you to do was, after every game, just go up and have a drink with him in the boardroom, win, lose or draw. And I made sure I did that. And sometimes if you lost, you don't want to have a drink with anyone, but you want to just get yourself home. But that's what he wanted, and that was good enough. But he would just say, good luck, bad luck, uh, well done, on to the next game. And, you know, he was a very, very solid chairman. Um and, you know, we had Nigel Howe and Edward Smith there uh, who were on the board. So it was a small board. Um, but we all knew, we all knew what our positions were. Um, and I, f- I think the moment botley, the fans knew as well, which was great.
0: And Dylan, uh, do you want to come in now? Yeah, just, um, you know, it's absolutely a pleasure to listen to Brian, you know, just for this short time, because obviously, you know, he's got an a f- affiliation to Reading, kind of like I have, you know, and he was, I think there were a lot longer than I were, but, you know, when, when he mentioned about, you know, when he when he came to the club and uh, they asked him and, to go and find players, you know, I'm always asked in South Africa to go and find players, but there's there's 60 million of them, you know. Mm. So in, when you're looking for players, you know, to bring to Reading Football Club, you know, do, do you have targets in mind? Do you have players that you, you go out specifically to watch? Or do you go and watch games and say, well, hang on, I like him. I like the look of him. Uh, and do and, and you, you t- take risks or how do you go and find players that, that w- you would bring to Reading Football Club? A bit
2: of both really, Dylan. Contacts, got a lot of contacts in the game. Ring up people. It's really important to know people who know players mm. and ring up people who know players and, you know, talk about who's the best player in Ireland, who's the best player in Scotland. We know people in those areas. They, we might get a shout on, on, on a player like that, and then we go and watch that player. I, I went to um, Boulogne versus Le Havre one night and uh, went to watch a specific player, and, uh, and Jimmy Kebe was playing. And all of a sudden, he just smashed me in the face. He didn't literally, but he just like, wow. And he played this half of football that I thought, wow, he is unplayable. And he was. And I saw that 45 minutes, I thought, we have got to sign him at some point. It took me a long time to persuade Steve to sign him, but that was just off the back of just watching a game and then seeing him. Um, obviously, Kevin and Shane, Kevin Dawes, Shane, Leroy, Dave Kitson, Dave Kitson. I actually watched Dave against us when we drew, um, when it was a two-all draw, Cambridge versus uh, Reading, I think it was the FA Cup. And I just thought he was, he was fantastic. So we we got that deal over. So sometimes you've got to be lucky. There's all sorts of different ways of finding players, but you've got to graft, you've got to know players and you've got to want to do it. And I loved that job. That was my my favourite job at the club.
0: And on the back of that, that one, right? So now you're manager. And have you ever, have, uh, you know, where, where a scout would come or one of your assistants would come and say, listen, well, I've got, I, I think this player could do, you know, like you said, it took you a while to convince Steve about the player. Have you, when you became manager, have you had any doubts or somebody said, well, you know, uh, let's, let's say, for instance, Dave Kitson, but you not, you're not on the same wavelength who was, has actually asked you the question about it. So have you ever had any um, places where you think, well, somebody's recommended you a player, but you've thought, well, no, he's not, he wouldn't fit into my jigsaw? So. Uh,
2: often, often. Yeah, many times I've had scouts and people come to me and say, Look, can we look? Can you look at this player? And often I've said, That's not for me. Um, he has to be able to fit into the way we wanted to play. It was dead easy with Steve. You know, I knew what Steve was looking for. So I would never go to Steve with someone who wasn't pace, power, athleticism, you know. And then you can take people like, say, Glenn wasn't pace, power, athleticism, Glenn Little, but. Unbelievable ability, and, and and Steve knew him. Steve knew him really, really well. So he knew what he was looking for in that. So Steve made that choice. You know, Shane Long, pace power. Kevin Doyle, pace and power. Leroy Lita, pace power. Um, Dave Kitson, strength, ability, athleticism. Um, could play with either foot. Sonko, that Steve knew. Eva Inga Marson, that Steve knew. So all of these players fitted into this jigsaw that the way he wanted to play. He wanted to play front foot football, put the ball down the sides, put balls into the box. So you've you you've fitted players in and around whatever he wanted, really, Steve. And uh, it was a joy, Dylan. It was a joy working yeah. with him. I love working
0: with him. And you know, you, you say about the structure. You know, that the, the last couple of years there's no structure in the club. You said you've got an amazing backroom team. You've got an amazing chairman. Uh, that, like you said, there was a small board. That you know, they left you to do the. To the do the job, you know. And now over the last couple of years, Reading have brought in foreign coaches, foreign coaches that have, you know nobody's heard about from from Serbia. And yes, they've started brightly, and then they've you know ultimately lost their jobs. I mean, it, is, is there a difference there as well from you know from having proper and no disrespect to these foreign coaches, but proper English coaches that know the structure, that know the club, that know the league, to. Coaches that are coming in from foreign countries that don't know anything about the club, but they're just happy to get the job.
2: Uh, I actually think the manager is the last, last piece of the jigsaw at the moment. So I look at what is going on at the football club and I think the structure of the club needs to be sorted out and then get your manager in. So wherever the manager is, wherever he comes from, it, doesn't, it wouldn't bother me particularly. No. I just think the most important thing is get good support around him, get your recruitment right, get your contracts sorted out, get your director of football in place, get all your admin people in place, get your chief executive in place and then get your manager and stick your manager in there and support the manager. I mean, that's the ideal situation and that's not happening. I think what's happening with Reading over the last five, seven, eight years have just thrown managers at the problem and that hasn't solved the problem. So you have to just try to get the structure and the infrastructure correct once that's right. And listen, NC now, I know Paul. I know Paul. I was, I was, at, I was at Leeds when he was at Blackpool. He's done, he's done exactly what he's had to do. He's got the club safe, happy days. You know, so good luck to him if he gets his job next season. But people need to get around him. If, if Paul's going to be the manager, get round him, give him support. The fans will get behind him because that's what our fans do. They, they will support the manager, but he the manager needs support as well.
0: Well, look, Brian, on that, sorry, Mark, on, on that, I was speaking to a fan today, uh, a big Reading fan. Um, th- that's the big question that these Reading fans uh, don't know. Who, who's going to put that structure in place? Who's going who's to run the club to, to give Paulings that, that backroom staff, that support, that, that direction? They, they, the fans don't know. And they've not known for like you say a few years now. You know, the, 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 who's running the club? Who's who who's the one that's like making the decisions? You know, and, and that's the frustrating from reading all the, the, the Facebook pages, the Reading fan pages, you know, the they don't the, the fans don't know what's happening at the club. They don't know who's running the club.
2: But there's your problem. You know, you just summed it up. That's the problem. And and that's what's that for me that's what's got to change so change all of that stuff get the right people or the owner gets the right people the owner's prerogative he's going to do what he's he's going to do I mean I, I look at the owner and I think well he spent a lot of money you know oh. there's a lot of money being spent we, we never had that sort of money that I mean that would have been money you'd have dreamed we'd have got into the premiership and had that sort of money we might be still there so you know that's a dream that sort of thing but I feel for him. I think, you know, he needs support and he's the right people and then the right manager. So the answer to the question is, I don't know. I don't know who it is who, who comes in to do that role. Whoever comes in to do that role needs to be able to be given the role and the job and say, and, and being told, we want you to get the structure right. And I think if that's, if we can do that, you can get going again. I mean, next season's going to be difficult. You know, you've got... A lot of players out of contract. Um, the budget's going to be smaller, a lot smaller. So next season, it's about wheeling and dealing and doing the best you possibly can to try and get the, the players in. People have got to come to the club, have got contacts you know players. It ain't going to be easy, I'll tell you. I don't think so. Brian, still-
1: uh, um I'll let Johnny come in in a, in a minute as well. Um, but I just want to ask you about character and attitude of players, because although there are a lot of worried Reading fans at the moment, it is also an opportunity because if you look look back at, you know, players like Kevin Doyle and going further back, you know, Trevor Senior, Kerry Dixon coming up from non-league, it, it is an opportunity, but you've you talked about some of those key players that came in to, to your Reading side when you were there. Um, how... How much of a factor how important is it to get players not only with the right attributes and the right fit in the jigsaw but also the right character the right attitude all, all that sort of thing how, how How much importance you place on that sort of stuff
2: well that team that that, that, I, that we had in 2011-12, when it went up that was full of that that was what it was full of character and spirit you know and ability. Um, but even to this day, all of those lads, I, I love those lads. You know, that, those lads were just lads you go and have a drink with. You know, you'd take home to meet your mum. Just great, great people. And I think that's the key. I think, you know, when you're signing football players, you're signing the person first. We've always said, let's find out about him. What's he like as a fella? You know, you get your certain mavericks and this, that and the other are a bit different, which is fine. Um, but I think in the Championship in particular, you've got 46 games. It's the toughest league, you know, you've got game against Nottingham Forest on a Saturday, then you've got to go to Derby and then you've got to try and win there and then you've got to go to, to Burnley back in the day and try and win there or, you know, wherever it might be and it's so difficult and the games for 60, 70 minutes can be a war of attrition, you hang in the game and you stay in the game and there's a certain way of winning games in the Championship and it hasn't really changed, to be honest. but character's massive, massively important to me.
1: And, uh, Johnny, you've been waiting patiently, as you usually do. Um, do you want to come in now? Well, you both of you have nicked all my questions, so now I'm struggling, but there we go. <laughs> hey, Brian. So, I, one thing, you know, nowadays, you know, we saw Sean Dyche, you know, uh, left Burnley after nine years. Managers these days don't seem to get long in football. In, in your view, how long would it take to rebuild a club like Reading? You know, trying to get back to where, somewhere near where we should be player-wise,
2: recruitment-wise, scouting-wise? Well, let's, let's, let's go back in the history of Reading. So you look at Reading and you go 2000 to 2003. We got promoted two, three years. 2003 to 2008. Um, 2009, uh, Steve got promoted to the, to, to the premiership, went down, nearly got promoted again. So it's like a three-year building pro- process every time, two and a half, three years. Um, and then Brendan came, and then I went, and then we had another two and a half years where you've built something, but we had a really firm foundation um, with the groups that we had. We were always at the top of the league, sort of top seven, eight, nine. Um, I think the team that that Reading have got now, a potential top seven, eight, nine team with the the individuals that you've got there, Um, but they won't be there next year by the looks of it. So you're you're building a brand new sort of set of players. Um, You you know, you've got to be lucky. You've got to get the right people. Everyone's got to be on board. I mean, the support from the fans next year, I think is going to be so key Um, because next year could be difficult, could be very difficult. You need the right people in the right places. I really hope that happens. Um, And look, you could do it two and a half, three years, whatever, I don't know. It'd be difficult to do it next year. It's doable if you get the right players and the right characters, but it's normally two and a half, three years where you can get that. That's what we've had in the past anyway.
0: And Nowadays, you know,
1: I over here in Ireland and you know, I've had a history of players that came over to Reading. It doesn't seem, I don't know, it, what do you think about kind of those links now? Is it non existence We don't seem to make players come across as often.
2: That's because probably they're not being looked at is that is that easy is it People just it. Too... it could be I mean you know yes. there's players that still come over from Ireland but they're not coming to Reading you know we bought half a dozen players from Ireland um, so uh, look it depends where the the football club is looking you know I don't, I don't believe there's too many scouts at Reading now um, they recruit differently to how we used to recruit and everyone says to me how important recruitment is um, probably need to get the recruitment strategy correct. I think that's going to be really, really important and get the right people in to do that. Who's to say there's no players in Ireland? I'll tell you, there's always players in Ireland.
0: Well, Brian... Sorry. Brian, sorry. And you just going on that, recruitment is is massive. I mean, I took over uh, Swallows in December. They were bottom of the league. They had eight points. Um, I inherited a squad that were overpaid, overpaid. Uh, all of them were the the main players were earning too much money at thirty five, thirty six because the the previous management were signing people that they they're, they're all on the they're, they're all getting backhanders here, so they'll sign somebody and as long as they gain uh, a, a little wedge out of it, doesn't matter who they sign. And the recruitment here that I inherited was was shocking and is still shocking. Mm-hmm. You know, we've now got twenty three points, we've got four games left, so I you know I I, I, I I'm, I'm with you, Brenda That recruitment next year for Reading Football Club, same if I stay at Swallows. If I'm lucky to stay here, uh, I've got to do the recruitment uh, because the recruitment here is is, is terrible. Mm. You know, that's why they've struggled this year. And we're doing really, really well at the moment without winning games. You know, we're playing such good football. I mean, in in Africa, you know, it's not about results. It's entertaining the fans. It's it's making the fans go home happy. You know, for me, it's about winning, you know, and uh, we, we've been playing so much good football, but we're not winning because that recruitment, we've got three strikers in a squad of 32 players, right. three strikers, you know, and our highest, our top striker's got five goals. Right. You know, it, 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 it's very important that you said that about recruitment, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm on this wavelength with you, Brian. Thank you.
2: Well, that's the same with any club. Look at Man United; everyone's complaining about the recruitment. Look at, you know, Newcastle recruited really well in January, by the way.
1: Yeah,
2: and look what happened yeah. to them. Yeah, um, you need to you need to get people in who can recruit and no players. And I think that's once again we we could we could keep revisiting the same subjects regard regarding how a football club should be run. And for me, I'd
1: keep coming back to the same points all the time. Yeah, right, Brian. Um, looking back at your time at Reading you know from the time before you were manager you said you really enjoyed you know that that aspect of um, the game and then you you became manager and uh, you know you had a lot of success but what do you think in all the time that that you were at Reading gave you the most satisfaction personally? Just going in every
2: day I loved it I mean it was never you know, we could say the 2005, 16, 106 points, you know, to be part of that, to work with Steve and Wally and Kev and Nick and Nigel, oh, that gave me great satisfaction. I love going to work. Um, I loved it, you know, and, and every day gave me satisfaction just to go to work. I, I used to love it. And, uh, listen, I was a really reluctant manager, you know, when Brendan left. The reason I I took that job, I, I was offered that... The, caretaker role and I thought well if I don't step up here a lot of good people are going to lose their job a lot of good players are going to leave new staffs coming in new players will come in I didn't think it was needed it's just a few tweaks that were needed at the time but I was reluctant Um, and look I look back at the time now 10 years ago and think well you did all right and it, it I can look back with a lot more satisfaction but when you're a manager Dylan you'll know stood on that line it's it's not an easy job because you have about five minutes after the game and you think thank god we've won the game I could sleep tonight and then you know then you move on to the next game straight away and it's just trying to find that balance really but I I have to say I I really enjoyed the 13 years that I had there Um, and then I came back for four or five months and you know that that was strange to say the least but yeah I had such a good time with with I just love working with the people there. And I think that's what's missing. It's, it's just that that environment. You've got to create that environment where people feel safe and they want to come to work and want to love coming to work and then create that environment where all the players and staff and the fans are, are as one. And I remember that stadium, 23,000, 24,000, when we were 1-0 up, and those fans were two or three minutes to go just seeing us over the line. And if you remember in 83 minutes against Nottingham Forest in 2012, whenever we went up, it was then, the fans were saying, we're singing one goal and we're going up. And I've got a little video of it. And Ian Hart (laughs) took a free kick and Mikael Edgerwood scored. They were singing one-nil and we got, they got us over the line, you know, with seven, eight minutes to go. And then that was all part, everybody together. And you don't forget things like that.
1: Dylan, do you want to come back in?
0: Brian, what, you know, when you got the job, yeah. What, did you did you did did change obviously from from being you know in in the backroom staff? What was the message to the players? You know when you when when you took over, did you ever did you ever did you sit them down? Did you ever you know? I always remember when Howard Wilkinson took over at Sheffield Wednesday when I was seventeen. He sat us all down and he gave us this big speech of you know what his vision and what he was going to do. And I remember all the senior players shaking their heads and thinking. This is not going to work, and it did. It worked. He got promoted in his first season, you know. So, you know, when you took over, obviously you've been there, you know, before. But when you took over, did you have a, a specific manager's, you know, chat to them, or you know, did you just carry on the way that you know it had been it had been going? Did you think it was that was okay to do that?
2: To be honest, because I was around the training ground a lot, I was always there, so yeah. I was just part of what was going on, and I just. Brendan went, I came in, we had a game against Bristol City, first game, and we prepared for the game. Um, we tweaked a few things, we got a draw, then we played Swansea, we got a draw, then we went to Plymouth and we got smashed 4-1, and I thought, well, I'm not going to get this job if I... The next game was against Liverpool in the FA Cup, and I was told by Nick, Nick said, well, if you, you need to get a decent performance against Liverpool, otherwise you ain't getting this job. Um, and I thought, well, that's sandy." So we played well against Liverpool. Next game against Newcastle, it was called off, which was a blessing. And then the next game was against Liverpool at Anfield, and we played really well and won. And after that, I knew I was going to get it, even though we lost the next two games. So we had a, we had a poor run of results as far as um, the league was concerned. I think we got two points out of fifteen, but we got a win against Liverpool and a win against Burnley in the FA Cup. So um, yeah. I was lucky. I was fortunate enough to get those wins and, and that, I think and then then we just got on with what we had to get on. We had good enough players, we had a good enough structure, we had a good enough staff, we had good enough we had a good
1: chairman, uh, and we ended up about eighth in the league. We were unlucky not to get to the playoffs that year. And Johnny, do you wanna come back in now? He's gone.
0: It, it, no, I just right. one
1: quick cunt.
0: Brian, just about leadership players like
1: Joby McInnuff, who got an award the other night from the AFL. What makes a good leader, you know, for you as a on the pitch as your your man? Yeah, that's an
2: interesting one. Um, he, Joby's very. Um, Joby's just such a great guy. You know, he was Matt Mills was my captain. He left after the player final, and Joby played every game. He was brilliant in the dressing room. The lads loved him. He wasn't loud. He wasn't a shouter or a baller. You know, he was a winger, so he's not it's not necessarily where your captain comes from normally. Um, everyone he has he had great he's got and he has great likability. So, you know, everything you want in a leader, he had it. Um, but he he didn't play as a center half or whatever centre midfield player, didn't need to. He just he was for me, he was a natural. Um, and I don't think he'd been a captain before. Um, and I was I was absolutely chuffed to have him as a as a leader. Absolutely chuffed, just as a captain. Great guy. Absolutely great guy. As they all were. And then it wasn't just about him. There was other leaders. There was there was a lot of leaders at that football club. A lot. Your your dressing room's only as good as your senior
1: players, and we had great senior players. Right. Oh, sorry, Dylan. Oh, can I just ask about about the current team? So, let's say. I mean, firstly. You know, would you like an opportunity to come back to Reddin at some point in some capacity if that opportunity ever came up?
2: Yeah, if if the opportunity came up and it was a, a role where I could make a difference, yes. If it was a role where I just turned up and I was just there because because um, you know to fill a position that wouldn't make any difference, probably not. Uh, if I could, if I could help, and um, I could. Sh- Try to get things going again in a, in a positive manner. Um, yeah, of
1: course. I, yeah, I would definitely speak to whoever would make those decisions. And in terms <laughs> of a hypothetical question, um, you, you've already talked about you know putting a structure in place and then the manager being the last piece of the jigsaw. But with so many players now out of contract, you know, at the end of the season, what you know from with your manager's hat on. What would you be thinking if if you were in that you know in the the role that Paul Ince is doing now, um, and we don't know yet whether he is going to you know be taking on that job longer term. But if you were going into that environment uh, as a new manager, what what sort of things would you be looking to do as a starting point? We'd be asking a football club or whoever's making the
2: decisions about the players' contracts, who's speaking to the players, who's speaking to the agents. You'd be asking the recruiters, or whoever the recruiters are, where the players, what's... So it's about building a team um, for next season. I think that's going to be really important. You haven't really got a long time. I mean, I know there's a lot of players out of contract. um, Who's talking to the players that are out of contract at the moment, the ones that they want to keep? So they're 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 the priorities is to is to get on the front foot now. The job is done as far as keeping the team in the league. Paul's done that. Now it's trying to make sure that we've got the right players. Having said that, the budget's going to be the budget. So, you know, you, you might have to go down another road of younger, hungry players, or it doesn't have to be young, it could be older players that have still got that hunger. Look at Ian Hart. Ian Hart, we bought him from Carlisle for 75 grand, one of the most hungry. 30, 33, 34-year-olds I've ever seen. Jason Roberts, hungry. You know, Joby McEnough, hungry. Andy Griffin, hungry. Mikhail Lidgewood, hungry. All of these older senior players. Kaspar Gorkes, all of all of them had the same um, DNA. And that's the DNA that that that's required. So you just got to mix it up to get the best
1: possible group of players you can to compete next year. And uh, Dylan, did you want to come back in with one last question?
0: Would you, right, right the job's done, we've kept them safe. Would you not, would you not sit, would Pauline not be better than saying, right, let's have a look at the, what we've got in the under 23s, the under 18s. Let's bang them out there and let's see what we've got for next season, for the last remaining games. Or would you just like, you know, just see the season out and start preparing, as you said, start preparing now and being on your front foot? If I if I thought anyone was if I
2: thought they were they were
0: ready, Dylan, definitely
2: put them in the team. Um, yeah, no doubt. But I wouldn't put them in just because they're under 23s. I would put them. No, in no. if they're ready. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Because you've got players that are on the bench that don't get yeah. game time. Well, hang on. Let, let's throw them in now. Let's see. You know, let's give them the opportunity. You know, I, I'm, they sure, might... I'm sure he will. Yeah
2: yeah I think he will I mean, you do the same as a manager you know they're safe now. The best thing to do is to is to stick them in if they're ready if they're not ready then no but i would I would definitely say that because you don't know until you sling them into that situation. you don't know how they're going to compete how they're going to conduct themselves but yeah, I mean how many games left three or four games left um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah i would i would I would definitely be looking at that, and I'm sure he is to be honest,
1: yeah I'm just Terrell Thomas is a good example. He's come in as backup at centre half. You know, hasn't got on yet. So mid mid twenties is you know, good chance for for him perhaps. But um yeah, that's listen, that's all we've got time for now, Brian. But just want to say thanks ever so much for for joining us. Been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure, thanks a lot. You take care, guys.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.